are Locked On Pelicans, your daily New Orleans Pelicans podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to another edition of Locked On Pelicans, the daily podcast covering your favorite team, the New Orleans Pelicans in NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, available wherever you get your podcast. I'm your host, Pelicans Insider, credential member of the media, Jake Madison, at Nola Jake on Twitter, here with you all on this Friday. By the time you're listening to this, the NBA schedule may be released. We'll break that down on Monday for you all. But I want to dive into Lonzo Ball a little bit in today's episode of Locked On Pelicans. It's been a lot of talk about him. Is he who he is? Is he capable of changing? How does Stan Van Gundy envision him being used? What does David Griffin say about him? We're going to spend at least the first two segments just breaking it all down around Lonzo Ball, one of the more enigmatic pieces around the Pelicans this year. Someone who could take a leap and really change the perception about him or someone who might be on the trade block if that doesn't end up happening. Those are big differences there, I think. So, we got a little bit more to cover after that, but let's dive into it all in today's edition of Locked on Pelicans. So after recording that intro, I just remembered what I wanted to talk about in the third segment. The Anthony Davis contract extension, the LeBron James contract extension with the Lakers. How does it impact the Pelicans' future picks? Um, we should at least look at it, and we'll do that in the third segment of today's show. But now we're going to dive into Lonzo Ball. So let's hear what David Griffin has to say about the starting backcourt for your New Orleans Pelicans. Well, I think for one, we, we envision being able to start Eric and Lonzo and much the same way that we started Lonzo and Drew. Uh, Eric is a similar player to Drew in many areas. Um, I think in terms of the way he approaches the game, there's a little bit of a difference, but they're both very similar in their ability to create off the dribble um, and to defend. So we anticipate that those two can work very similar together to how Drew and Lonzo work. At the same time, because we have the versatility we do in the backcourt, we feel like all of those pieces work interchangeably with Lee with the other well. Nikhil can play with either one of those two and play very well, we feel. Kyra dovetails very well with Lonzo and Nikhil. So there's a lot of versatility there that excites us. So there's a couple of interesting things from that. First and foremost, yes, Lonzo is going to be starting. He's going to be starting next to Eric Bledsoe, whether he's the point guard or the two guard. It doesn't matter. You start two guards. And Lonzo Ball is one of those guards. It's really kind of as simple as that. The other thing is he talks about how these guys and their skill sets kind of complement each other and that there's a lot of different combinations that they can use. And it's very true, particularly with the improvement that Lonzo Ball has gotten in his three-point shooting. That is a big thing for just keeping him out there on the court because when you really dive into some of the numbers with him, and we're going to do that in the next segment, it's not all that great. And that means that if he's looking to make improvements to his game, it's not just slight tweaks. These are going to need to be some serious things that he needs to improve upon. And he can do all of that. But when you hear what they're saying here, having a guard compliment you really well it means you're not as well-rounded maybe as you would as they, as that player could be, should be, or you would want him to be. Not that every player is a well-rounded player. But when you're saying these other guards compliment Lonzo Ball, you know, they're they're making up for a lot of what his deficiencies are. That is the aggressiveness, that is the attacking, things that Eric Bledsoe does well, things that Keel does well. And like really when you look at Kyra Lewis and the number one thing that he does to speed and attacking the basket. It's very clear where Lonzo Ball is lacking. 
but it doesn't make him a bad player. It doesn't make him a guy that's unplayable out there on the court. It just really means it's obvious what his limitations are, as we've all seen. And that criticism is very valid of him, but it doesn't mean that you should get rid of him right away. But the fact that they envision him starting when you do have young guys that eventually look to be the future of your franchise to some degree in Kyra Lewis Jr., who's not going to be ready to play, let's be honest here, and Akeel Alexander-Walker, who everyone is expecting to take a big leap because you really need to see that from him. Yeah, I, you know, I think it's a little bit eye-opening here. But it's still Lonzo Ball's spot to lose, which means he's going to get the minutes to improve. He's going to get the opportunities and the plays and the ball to improve. And that is a really big thing in and of itself. Now, let's hear one clip from Stan Van Gundy. In the next segment, I'm going to play you another from him. But this is where he's talking about what Lonzo Ball does really well. Well, I I think Lonzo's got some things that uh, he does at an extremely high level. there's no one in the league that throws the ball ahead to people in transition the way Lonzo does. They, no one who sees it any better, nobody who's as willing to deliver the ball up the floor uh, as quickly as he does. And so if you're willing to run, uh, if you're willing to be a guy who gets down the floor, you're going to get a lot of chances to attack because of that ability that Lonzo has. So we know this. And though the Pelicans weren't great in transition overall last year, they ran in transition a lot, but they weren't very good in transition a lot. From what we talked about yesterday and what the offense and defense might look like, if they do improve defensively, they're going to get better chances to run rather than trying to inbound the ball and then run, which is something that the team really tried to do and they weren't good in that type of situation. Now maybe they'll be able to get out and run more effectively and efficiently than they did last year. And that is where Lonzo Ball is lethal. Those throw-ahead passes are a big thing. And he's overall a good enough transition point guard. You know, I don't know if he's necessarily elite at scoring in transition. This goes into something we'll talk about in the next segment, which is more about scoring at the rim, but he is very good at passing and getting the ball and making the right read in those opportunities. He's also a good rebounding guard who's capable of grabbing a defensive board after, say, Steven Adams boxes out and getting out and running. And so if the Pelicans can just overall improve the quality of transition percentage uh, efficiency that they get, they We'll see Lonzo Ball improve on that front, and he's a good player to have in that. He's definitely a very good player in that, and that's where he's most effective and efficient at uh, running a team. He's got to turn the ball over a little bit less when he gets out in transition. You see that a little bit too much for him, but overall, that's the best spot for him. and something he did almost 19% of the time last year. We're not really worried about him there, and that's why if they do want to run, he's a useful player to have in your starting backcourt. It's where things slow down and in the half court and in the pick and roll that things get a little bit dicey. I'll play you in the next segment after the break here, a clip coming up from Stan Van Gundy where he talks about that. And then we're going to dive into the numbers. So before we get to that, today's show is brought to you by Built Go. Sometimes you just got a wall that you need to break through. Sometimes I'm just tired in the evening and I don't want to have to listen to audio again that I've listened to four or five times before, then cut it up and put it into a show for you all, to be perfectly honest. 
And so whether you've got a mental or a physical wall or whatever it might be, there's days I don't want to work out too, but you've just got to kind of break through that wall and Built Go is here to help you do exactly that. It's easy to take one and a half ounce energy gel packages and basically the best on the market. Throw it in your briefcase for the most focused presentation ever, your golf bag to power through the back nine or just keep with you throughout the day whenever you start to feel a little bit slower. Built Go is also the best workout gel out there on the market. It's like a five hour energy without the same crash feeling or like drinking a monster energy drink with just a third of the caffeine better results. It's going to help you get the results that you want. Comes in three delicious flavors, peanut butter, honey, chocolate, coconut, chocolate, mint, and it combines energy gel with collagen protein. And that collagen protein is fast absorbing. So it's going to get into your system quicker. Built Go is loaded with good stuff to ignite both my work and my workout. And that collagen gel promotes joint, soft tissue, hair, and skin health. Stuff literally makes you look better. You want to give it a try, go to builtgo.com, use promo code LOCKED, and you're going to get 20% off your next order. That's promo code LOCKED for 20% off at builtgo.com. So Monday, we're going to be breaking down the Pelican schedule, at least the first half of it or whatever we get released at some point today. Looking forward to that, to kind of planning our season here. We'll know more about the nationally televised games, who are the big home games, the big road games, what's going to be the most difficult stretch. We'll break it all down for you here on Locked on Pelicans on Monday. So continuing to talk about Lonzo Ball, we know what he does well. It's it's very obvious, and we heard it from both David Griffin and Stan Van Gundy. We know he will be starting next season, but he does need to make a leap similar to what Brandon Ingram did this past season to really hit that next level and change the trajectory to some degree of his career. So let's hear what Stan Van Gundy has to say about Lonzo Ball improving, and then I want to get into some of the numbers and explain it's not really going to be the easiest task. He's a guy that I, I want to try to put into some, some different situations. Um, but I think the, the thing that we really uh, want to, I guess, focus on improvement with him uh, in terms of playing the game is, you know, being a little bit more gr- aggressive on pick and rolls in particular to turn the corner and go to the basket to score. I think he can be a better finisher. Um, turning the corner on his drives. Um, and I think it's a mindset. He, he's so, so insistent, such a great passer uh, that I think there's times he's coming off looking to pass. And then what opens up is the basket. And, and my experience is that it's hard to adjust from the pass to the shot. Whereas if you're thinking score and the help comes, you know, a guy with Lonzo's instincts will see the play. So we just sort of need to turn that around with him. But uh, his passing ability, his ability in transition, and his three-point shooting alone make him a, a, a very, very good player. Okay, so none of his comments are a big surprise, right? We know what Lonzo Ball is lacking and where the opportunities are for him to improve. It's what he says there. In the pick and roll, turn the corner and go and attack, right? Try and score at the rim, and if that doesn't happen, pass the ball and create for others. Cool. You know, I, I think it's, you know, it's I'm, I'm laughing because, like, this doesn't need any sort of deep insight or analysis, right? Like, that's what it is. And then, you know, you look at it and Stan Van Gundy started talking about playmakers on the team after this. I'm not going to use the quote there and talking about how they have multiple playmakers and that's what you want. 
What I think is interesting is that when you really dive into the numbers, these pick and roll numbers, the touches numbers, the drive numbers, you also start to see that maybe Lonzo Ball is not as much of a playmaker as we thought. This is okay. He can improve on all of this, but it is going to be maybe a little bit more difficult in ways than we were expecting. I'll get into the lack of playmaking stuff in a second, but let's just start with the kind of the base numbers, the drives, the lack of aggression. He drove six times per game last season. Drew Holiday did, did 12, and Eric Bledsoe did about the same number. In those drives, he was not effective what like what whatsoever. That's just kind of the only way to put it. He was not effective in terms of driving to the rim last season. So in his six drives per game, he took two shots. So a third of it, that's not great. He turned the ball over 13% of the time and he passed out of those drives three times. So half of his drives he passes out of. Okay. That's, that's fine. But keep that number in mind. Half of the time he drives, he passes out. So in theory, he's creating for others, right? Not, not always. And we'll get into that in just a second. So he drives two, two times per game. He shoots 34%. He gets fouled just 2% of the time on those drives. So he's not getting to the line. It's either a turnover or basically he's just dry or just passing out uh, uh, 66% of the time. And one third of the time he's actually shooting on these drives. It's not the most efficient when you compare it to other players. And that is definitely a problem because teams know they don't really need to protect the rim a ton against him and can try and take away those passing lanes, which is why he has a pretty high turnover rate when he does drive and attack. The numbers in the pick and roll aren't any better um, when you look at him in that. Um, in the pick and roll, he gets four possessions per game. It's 0.58 pos- uh, points per possession, which is the 11th percentile. Shoots 32% on pick and roll um, ball handling man duties. It's not good. He turns the ball over in that almost 30% of the time, 27%. That's that's really bad. He only draws a shooting foul 2.5% of the time. All of those numbers are really atrocious. There's no other way around that. So in the pick and roll, when he drives in, it's just not good. And here's the thing, though, he's, not, you know, maybe if he turns the corner and does it more and in a larger volume, it's better. But the percentages that you see from this, the shooting percentage, the lack of the um, drawing of fouls, the high turnover percentage, it makes me skeptical he'll be able to improve that much. And he's getting the opportunities to do this. This is not like where, which is, which is a BS thing to begin with. When you had Paul George being like, I wasn't used right last year. I wasn't being used in the pick and roll. I was being used in other ways and into other things. Lonzo ball is a guy who touches the ball almost as much as anybody in the league in terms of possessions. If you look at him, he actually ranks, hold on. I can pull it up. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, 9, 10, 11, 12, 12th of the entire league in terms of touches per game, 82.7 times per game. He touches the ball. That's a lot. And he gets, so it means he's getting the ball and the ability to go and do these things. He's not. So it's not a scheme thing. It's not a fit thing. It's a him thing. Now, if he can get more aggressive and make the most out of these touches, I, we, we can think differently of him. He's capable of doing it. Part of it is a mindset thing. Part of it is the bad free throw shooting. But this is not a Stan Van Gundy thing as much. I don't think using him in different situations is going to change all that much unless you think he can work well as an off-ball cutter. Given the, the struggles of the rim, I'm not sure. I'm hopeful. But there are definitely some concerns there. Now, 
Here's the thing with, with all of the things we've said. He passes out of those drives 50% of the time. He passes the ball a lot, actually. Um, and he, he ranks in kind of, let, let me pull him up here as I'm doing this in like real time. That passing is, is all there. The problem is it's not turning into as much as you would expect for a player of his caliber and for those assist numbers. Those assist numbers are very real. They're not hollow or anything like that. But he's not as much of a playmaker as you would think. And Schmidt Dua Bourbon Street Shots touches on this a lot. He says it. He's not a creator. He's more of a connector. And it's a really good description of Lonzo Ball and his style of game. Lonzo Ball had seven assists per game last year. It's pretty good. It seems like it should be more, though, particularly when you dive into the numbers. So let's take a look right now and uh, at some of his passing numbers. Okay, so of all players in the league, Lonzo Ball has the fifth most passes made per game. He makes 62.2 passes per game. It's kind of nuts, right, to think it's that many times. So he's clearly moving the ball. One, that's a, that's a good thing. And it leads to seven assists on those 62.2 passes. He doesn't really have a ton of secondary assists at .7. He has a total potential assist of 12.6. So if the Pelicans weren't missing shots or... Other things like that, he would be doing much better if everything was perfect. Here's the thing, though. That number is basically equal with Drew Holiday last year, 12.6 for both of them. You feel like that given the fact that he makes significantly more passes than a guy like Drew Holiday, Holiday by comparison, 55.7 passes per game, Lonzo Ball at 66.2, that potential assist number should be higher, right? That's where we start to really dive into Lonzo Ball and it's like, wait a second, some of these numbers are good, but they're hollow or kind of empty to some degree. You get a stat called assist to pass percentage. So basically put all of his assists over his passes, divide it, and you get this this number, this ratio essentially, this percentage. Lonzo Ball of all of his his assists to pass percentage is 10.5%. When you look at the other top guys on this list, it lags behind. Luka Doncic is 14%. LeBron James on 62.1 passes made per game, 16.4%. Ricky Rubio, 14.6. Alfred Payton, right? Who Lonzo Ball's better than. Alfred Payton, 12.1% on the crappy Knicks team. We could go on and on and on down the list. All these guys that aren't bigs have better assist to pass percentages than Lonzo Ball does. So the passes he's making aren't really going to guys in scoring position, in creating scoring opportunities for him. Otherwise, that potential assist number would be higher too. LeBron James, 18.4. Luka Doncic, 16.2. It's higher. You know, if you have four more assists, that's at least eight more points per game created. It's a lot. And you're not seeing him reach that. So his passes, describing him as a connector is 100% correct. And the numbers bear it out. He can change this. And if you drive and are aggressive and attack and force a defense to collapse on you, that's how you create more scoring opportunities for people. But driving and passing it out and then having to reset the offense because the defense didn't move, that's not getting it done in what the Pelicans need in terms of a playmaker out of him. So I think he's capable of doing all of this. And maybe Stan Van Gundy gets it out of him, but this is probably a bigger lift or a bigger improvement than you were expecting or any of us were expecting to see him potentially make. So it's going to take a lot of work and a significant step up in terms of his game. This isn't just like a small improvement. This is a really big improvement and almost changing the way you are as a player to kind of make that leap 
that he needs to make, that the Pelicans need him to make. All right, coming up, we're going to talk Lakers quickly, Anthony Davis extension, LeBron James extension, the picks they get from them. Not as good as we probably thought, but they're still valuing them, and I'll explain coming up. So the wait is almost over. The 2021 NBA season is almost here, and the Locked On NBA podcast will get you ready with a special week of shows beginning on December 14th. Get previews of every team division by division from all 30 of our local Locked On experts, plus waiver wire editions from Locked On Fantasy Basketball, rookies to watch from Chad Ford, and predictions of on each division from the Rejecting the Screen podcast. Subscribe to Locked On NBA wherever you get your podcasts. So a lot of news for the Lakers the past two days. Basically, um, Anthony Davis signed a big extension, five years, actually kind of leaving some money on the table at the end of it. And LeBron James signing a two-year extension as well as, I guess, Anthony Davis signing a new contract. LeBron's is an extension. Um, th- this is big. So they're not on the exact same schedule. They were... Uh, they're, they're on a different schedule now in terms of their contracts. It doesn't line up perfectly, but they're clearly thinking far ahead. LeBron, LeBron doesn't have a, a ton, ton left in him. He can go for easily another two, three years, four, five, six, seven, eight, probably not. Anthony Davis, you know, by having a decrease in his salary kind of gives them more salary cap flexibility on the end of his career to maybe add someone else. So basically tying these guys up, which is what this is means that they're not going to be bad anytime soon. As long as they have LeBron and AD, they're probably going to be the title favorite almost every single year, like one of the two or three title favorites every single year. That's going to make those picks that the Pelicans have from the Lakers and those pick swaps not as valuable. It's truthful, right? It makes those assets go down. So when you look at the Pelicans' war chest of picks, and they traded one away in the deal for Steven Adams, it's not as good. Basically, it's two first-round picks from the Lakers, two first-round picks from Milwaukee. It's It's another four instead of the three that they had originally kind of gotten because they already moved on from one. Okay, it's still pretty good, but those picks aren't going to be high. So if you're looking to trade for Bradley Beal, trade partners might look at those and be like, no, 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 no. You've got Anthony Davis there through 2025 or whatever year his deal runs through. Plus it's LA. The fact that they've gotten good again and have a competent front office now makes them, it's like a sleeping giant waking up. Players want to play in that market. They do. The Lakers have an unfair advantage over the rest of the league. And it sucks. It's disappointing, but it's the facts. That Lakers team for a while isn't going to be bad anytime soon, as long as they have relatively good health. And that's the truth. So those picks aren't good. Does it mean that, you know, you kind of look back at the Anthony Davis trade and you're like, oh, well, that sucks. No, because it was still the best deal. And even with those picks being bad, it's still the best deal, I think, of what was offered when Boston didn't really come through. So it's a deal and a trade the Pelicans make every single time, plus BI and all that stuff. But it's worth keeping in mind that those assets aren't maybe as valuable as you want. So if the Wizards are trading Bradley Beal and say it doesn't work out with Russell Westbrook, I don't know if they're as interested in this compared to other teams. It's just something to really keep an eye on. The cheap labor is an important thing. You know, I I do think that if things go according to plan with B.I. and Zion Williamson, being able to add talented people who out earn their contracts, those late first round picks, if those guys are good, they often do. Um, is a useful thing and you need to have ways of adding cheap talent to your roster because New Orleans is never going to be a free agent destination, even for ring chasers. You're not even really seeing it happen in Milwaukee. And so that's a bit of a problem. So you've got to do it through the draft. Also, if things don't work out well, make those picks and hope they work out. You know, if one becomes a superstar, even, you know, even if you're kind of just expecting to be meh kind of players, if one works out, that's that's kind of what you need to do. Look at the best players in franchise history here in New Orleans. All guys they drafted, right, for the most part. 
Chris Paul drafted, Anthony Davis drafted, David West drafted. Big free agents don't sign here. So you've got to take swings on a lot of these first round picks. That's why the Pelicans took best player available in Kyra Lewis Jr. You know, you could have taken a guy who will contribute more this season. They went with best player available. It was probably the right move. But those Lakers picks do seem a little bit devalued. The way the Bucks have run their offseason, I feel higher on those picks than I would other ones because I don't know if they can really get this right about Giannis not, you know, making some big misses on the salary cap and other things like that. I don't know. We'll see. I, I'm kind of curious to see how it's going to go with them in the future. But those picks, keep in mind, Lakers aren't going anywhere anytime soon. I wouldn't look at those as, oh, hell yeah, we've got the Lakers picks. All right, that's going to do it for today's edition of Locked On Pelicans. That's going to do it for this week of Locked On Pelicans. Thank you all very much for listening. Be back with you all on Monday. We'll break down the schedule. Looking forward to it. As always, I'm your host, Jake Madison, at Nola Jake on Twitter, and I'll see you all on Monday.